March. Invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. We uh, spent a couple of Sundays in chapter 5 looking at how we are to live in light of the cross, and we're going to wrap up this little series tonight, and we're going to look once again at how the Lord calls us to live as his people, Uh, specifically the instruction that that Paul gives us regarding church life, congregation life. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load." One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Maybe you have heard uh, the name A.W. Pink before. Um, A.W. Pink was uh, an early 20th century English uh, Bible teacher and pastor. Uh, Probably Pink is most famous for two of his books, Uh, the sovereignty of God, and the attributes of God. We probably have uh, one of those books, maybe both those books in the church library. Uh, Pink grew up in England, but uh, moved to the U.S. when he was about 24 years old. And he lived in the U.S. here for about 15 years. He was a pastor. He pastored churches in Colorado and Kentucky and South Carolina. And then at a certain point, he went to Australia for a couple of years. Then he came back to the U.S. for five more years. And then eventually... Uh, he and his wife returned to England where they lived for the last 16 years of their lives. Pink was a very gifted writer. If you've read his books before, you've probably benefited from them. His books have blessed many people throughout the years. But here's what's sad about the life of A.W. Pink. For the last 16 years of his life, he didn't go to church. Even though there was a, a very faithful small Presbyterian church within walking distance of his house, and even though he was physically able to go, Pink didn't go. Pink could never find a church that in his mind was good enough. And, and so instead of, of walking to that Presbyterian church or maybe going to a different church, Pink stayed home every Sunday. And what he did is he wrote for 16 years. Now, now, we know that throughout the history of the church, the church has had its issues. We, we know that there is no perfect church. You've heard the thing before, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. We, we know that the church is not perfect. 
But at the same time, the, the New Testament is very clear that God's will for our lives as Christians is to live our Christian life within the context of a local church. What Pink did was not good. It's not that he was unable to go to worship. It's not that health prevented him from going to worship. It's not that he lived somewhere where there was no church around him. He just didn't go. It's not good to live the Christian life in some kind of a, uh, an individualistic way where we, where we separate ourselves from the church and from other believers. And our passage tonight drives home this very point. Now, I would assume if you're here tonight, you're committed to the church. But again, we need to be reminded of this, that, that we're not just here to hear a sermon every Sunday. We're not just here to see one another, to check the box. We're, we're here to, to enjoy life together. And, and that's what Paul tells us. Now, remember two things Paul has already told us. First of all, he told us that we have been set free from the law as the means of our justification. And, and so, Christian, you can, you can stop thinking that you can earn your way to heaven by what you do. You can, you can simply rest in what Jesus has done for you. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. Not what my hands have done, not anything that I do. I can rest in what Jesus has done for me, and I can rest in the freedom that he has won for me. But this freedom isn't for the purpose of living however we please. Jesus didn't set you free. Paul makes this point in chapter 5. He didn't set you free so that you can do whatever you want. You can live any way you please. He set you free so that you would serve other people. That's what Paul says in chapter 5. Secondly, Paul also told us that, that we are to walk by the Spirit. We don't live the Christian life in our own strength. We, we live it in his strength. And now, here in chapter 6, Paul's going to show us what it looks like concretely, specifically, to walk in the Spirit. Maybe you've asked the question before, okay, Paul, you, you tell me to walk by the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? Well, he tells us here in chapter 6, and he tells us that the Spirit-filled life is to be characterized by three things. All of them start with the letter S. First, strengthening. Second, service. And third, sharing. Strengthening, service, and sharing. Notice how Paul begins in verse 1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. A couple weeks ago, I, I think a couple weeks ago, I shared with you a, a little Latin phrase that Martin Luther coined that, that accurately describes who we are as Christians. It's the Latin phrase, simil justus et peccator, simultaneously justified and sinful. We are at one and the same time, both right before God, but we're still sinners. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we've been redeemed. Yes, we are right with God, but we still sin. We still stumble. We still mess up. We still do things we shouldn't do and say things we shouldn't say. Chapter 5 talks about the continual war that we will see in our Christian lives and we will see our fellow Christians who mess up. What do we do when that happens? 
What do we do when we, we see a fellow church member living in a way that is contrary to God's word? Do we say, ah, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. After all, no one's perfect. Or do we go, I can't believe that he or she would do that. They must not be a Christian. Let's shun them. No, Paul rejects both of these approaches. He says you should seek to restore that person. The word um, restore is a, a medical term. It was a word that was used in the first century to refer to uh, strengthening a broken bone. Children, maybe you've, um, you've broken your arm before, fell out of a tree or you fell off your skateboard or your bike and you broke your arm and, and you go to the doctor and they put a cast on your arm. And they put the cast on your arm for four to six weeks or something like that. And the purpose of the cast is to allow that bone to heal properly, to, to strengthen your arm, to restore your arm to its previous condition before you broke it. In, in a sense, Paul says, that's how we are to deal with one another. We don't, we don't ignore sin in someone's life. That would be like your parents saying to you, oh, you just fell down and you think you broke your arm? That's okay, you'll be fine. We don't need to worry about it. And then your arm doesn't heal properly. Nor do we, we smash someone who falls into sin. That would be like your parents taking a hammer and saying, oh, you broke your arm, I'll fix it for you. That's not effective. Instead, we want to come alongside that person so that they might confess their sin and know the joy of God's forgiving grace so that they might be spiritually strengthened. Now, as we do this, and, and let's be honest, we don't all relish this idea of going up to someone and saying, you know, I see something in your life that doesn't line up with God's word and I, I want to see you restored. We don't relish it, but, but that's what we're called to do. But as we do it, Paul says, keep two things in mind. First of all, we are to do it in a spirit of gentleness. The Christian life is to be characterized by gentleness. We're, we're not harsh. We're not judgmental. We, we don't go, you need to confess your sin and turn from your sin so that you'll be a better Christian like I am. It's important that we don't come off as thinking and acting like we're better than others. And, and so this is a helpful reminder to us that, that within the body here at Zion, we are to deal with each other in a spirit of gentleness, that we truly do care about the other person's spiritual well-being. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, run to your fallen brother and reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. Do it with gentleness, Paul says. Second, we are also to do it while keeping watch for ourselves. Paul says here in verse one, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Look out for your own walk with Christ. Don't, don't assume that you will never stumble. Don't assume that, that you have everything together. Don't act, Paul says, as if you're better than others. You can think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There are also Jesus' words from Matthew 7. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are a family here at Zion. That's how the Bible describes us. And and just as there are times in our own families when we need to confront someone, parents, you know that there are times when when you have to go to your child and, and talk to them about their behavior. In the same way, there will be times when we have to speak to one another. We have to admonish one another. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's done correctly, as long as it's done with gentleness, as long as it's done with the understanding that we too are sinners saved by grace. And, and so that's the first thing that should characterize our life as a body is that, that we should want to strengthen each other. We should care about each other spiritually. Secondly, though, is the word service. Take a look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul presupposes here that we will have burdens. That's just life. In, in, this, in this room tonight, there are a number of burdens that people are dealing with. For some of you here tonight, it's your health. For some of you here tonight, you're lonely. For some of you, you're, you're worried about an uncertain future. For some of you, it's uh, maybe dealing with a really difficult relationship problem. I can't name every burden in this room because I don't know every burden, but, but God does. And the point is, is that we all have something. We all have something that weighs on us. Now, one of the great things that the Bible tells us is that we can, we can take those burdens and we can cast them on the Lord. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 5? He, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares, cast all your burdens on him because he cares for you. And so whatever it is tonight that that is weighing you down, you can can take that to the Lord in prayer. You can take that to him and say, Lord, take this. It's too heavy for me. It's too much of a burden for me. Lord, I, I, I need you to take this. And it's a wonderful thing to know that the very one who bore all of our sins in his body on the cross now says to us, bring your burdens to me. And I will take them. But you see, that doesn't mean that we cast our cares only upon the Lord. We, we talk about how God often uses means to accomplish his purposes, right? For example, God uses the means of evangelism to bring his elect to saving faith. J- just because we believe in the doctrine of election doesn't mean that we go, well, you know, God knows who he's going to save. And God's going to save who he's going to save. And, and therefore, we don't need to do anything. If, if that's your understanding of Reformed theology, it's wrong. God uses means to accomplish his purposes. He uses the preaching of the gospel to bring his elect to saving faith. That's why we're called to proclaim the gospel. That's why we are his witnesses. That's why, as we saw this morning, we are not to be silent. 
We, we could think along the same terms in, in terms of all the burdens that we bear. One of the means that God uses to bear our burdens is our fellow believers. It's the people sitting in this room tonight. God uses those means. He uses you to, to bear the burdens of others. And, and part of what it means to, to be the church is to come alongside each other when we know that there's a burden and say, let me, let me bear some of that for you. Let me help you. Let me pray with you. Let, let me hear how you're doing with this. And personally, it's, it's possible that we could do a better job in this area. Often we're, we're so busy and wrapped up in our own stuff that, that we don't take the time to speak to others and, and minister to others. Now, I'm not saying that the entire time in the fellowship hall is spent spilling our guts to each other. It's still normal to talk about family and jobs and hobbies and so forth, but, but shouldn't at least part of our life together as a church involve speaking to one another about the things that we're struggling with, the things that concern us, the things that we're wrestling with, the things that we need prayer for? Zion Church doesn't exist merely to come hear a sermon on Sunday morning and evening. Zion doesn't exist merely to come to sing nine songs together. We don't merely exist to, to just have two worship services every Sunday. Now, those are certainly important parts of our corporate life together, but we're also called to bear one another's burdens. That means praying for someone you know is struggling and let them know you're praying for them. It might mean sending them a, an encouraging text or giving them a call. It might mean taking a meal to them. And this goes both ways, too, doesn't it? Um, it? It's not just bearing the burdens of other people. We also have to be willing to open up. We also have to be willing to, to share with each other the burdens that we are dealing with and the things that are weighing us down. So let me encourage all of us tonight, don't try to bear your burden on your own. Be willing to, to open up to your fellow church members so that we all may receive the blessing that comes from bearing each other's burdens. And, and personally, I think as, as things get progressively worse in our nation, and they seem to be going in that direction, we're going to need each other more and more in the future. And so it's crucial that we understand what Paul is saying here. And he says, as, as you bear one another's burdens... You're fulfilling the law of Christ. That, that law is referred to back in chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Paul says when you, when you bear one another's burdens, you are fulfilling the law of love. Love in action. That's how Jesus loved you and me. He didn't just say nice things about us. He did something. Isaiah chapter 53 says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The, the Lord Jesus loved us by bearing the burden of our sin. And since Jesus has borne my greatest burden, my sin, I, I will want to follow in his steps and I will want to carry the burdens of others. Wouldn't this be a, a wonderful witness to the world? Wouldn't this be a wonderful witness to 
those the Lord may bring here to Zion? Not, not a witness of how great we are, but, but a witness of how great God is and how he, how he transforms selfish sinners into selfless saints. It's a witness of God's grace. Now there's a second aspect to our service, not just bearing burdens, but, but notice what Paul says in verse three. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now you might read verse two and then verse three and say it doesn't really connect, but Paul is making a connection here. We will be more likely to serve if we come from a position of humility. If, if we understand who we really are. If we think we're better than everyone else, we're, we're going to think that service is beneath us. We're, we're going to think, I'm too good for that. In the first century, it was, um, it was considered to be beneath you to stoop down and serve anyone else. Service was only done by menial servants and slaves. But the Christian life is countercultural. The Christian life is, is the exact opposite often of what the culture says. And, and Paul says, instead of thinking, you know, what's in it for me, and instead of thinking, yeah, I'm not doing that, Paul says we are to think of others as more important than ourselves. And so it's, it's humility that, that fuels our service. It's humility that fuels our burden bearing. In verse 5, you'll notice that Paul says something that seems rather confusing. He says, for each will have to bear his own load. And, and you say, well, which one is it, Paul? You, you just told us to bear one another's burdens, and now you're telling us you have to bear your own load. Pick one, Paul. Which is it? Well, the word burden in verse 2 and the word load in verse 5 are two different words. And here in verse 5, Paul is saying that, that each one of us will have to give an account of our lives. In other words, he's, he's bringing this whole section of service to a conclusion. He's saying, bear one another's burdens, serve each other, strengthen each other spiritually, and remember, one day you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account to the Lord for what you've done, how you've conducted yourself within the church. Have I cared about strengthening my fellow members? Have I sought to to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters in Christ? Have I used my time and my talents to serve others? We will all give an account of our lives in the church one day. And so life within the body of Christ should be characterized by strengthening. It should be characterized by bearing burdens and serving one another. And one final thing, and that is sharing. Take a look at verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is one of those awkward verses that preachers don't like to preach on, but I will say this. This is a reminder that, that one of the callings of the church is to support the ministry of the gospel, both locally and abroad. One of the callings that we have is to support the spread of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you see, when we, when we give to the general fund, as we did this morning, or we give to Fikret Bocek in Turkey, as we did tonight, or we give to Judah Toss in the Philippines, we're, we're not just merely putting money in the bag. We are supporting the proclamation of the gospel. 
We are sharing with others so that the gospel ministry can be maintained, so that the message of Christ crucified can be preached in in many different languages all throughout the world. And this helps us to have a, a grander, bigger picture of our giving than just putting money in a bag when it comes by. We are helping to support the greatest message the world will ever hear. Not just here, but all throughout the world. Paul then gives a farming illustration, verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's a contrast here. Sowing to the flesh and sowing to the Spirit. The world is characterized by sowing to the flesh. You, you watch TV, you go on social media, that's what characterizes the world. Living for themselves, living for their own agenda, pursuing their own pleasure. You don't care for the needs of others. But that's not us. That's not the people of God. We've been given new life, we've been given new affections, we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are to sow, Paul says, to the Spirit. And what that means is that we are to live for the Lord Jesus in all aspects of our lives. Now that's going to mean one thing for a a seven-year-old and another thing for a 77-year-old and another thing for a 47-year-old. But, but we are to sow to the Spirit. We are to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus in all things. And, and it means, Paul says specifically here, strengthening each other, serving each other, sharing with each other. That is what is to characterize sowing to the Spirit. Now, now Paul is not saying that this is the way to heaven, that, that sowing to the Spirit will earn you eternal life. But he is saying that this is what will characterize the Christian. This is what will characterize those who have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. Rather than being characterized by, by sowing to the flesh and pursuing my agenda and my pleasure, my goal is to pursue the glory of God and to serve others. That's what Paul is saying. Essentially, Paul is calling us to be who we are. This is who you are. You are indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Now live that way, Paul says. The passage ends in verse 9. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't grow weary in doing good. Paul has to say that because he knows it's very easy to grow weary. It's very easy to, to maybe get tired in service. It's easy to give up. It's easy to say, you know, I've done my time. Let someone else do it. But brothers and sisters, we're called to press on. We're not called to say, I, I've done my time. I can still serve, but I'm not going to serve. It's one thing to say I can't serve any longer because I'm I'm older or I don't have the good health to do it anymore. It's another thing to say, I'm just not going to do it. I've done my time. Someone else can take it. 
That's not the New Testament. The Bible tells us that that we are to press on because Jesus pressed on for us. Jesus didn't say after a year and a half of earthly ministry, I've done with this. Let someone else do it. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Don't give up. Jesus didn't give up for you. Even when all those enemies were against him, even when there was all that hostility against him, he did not give up. But he pressed on. And that is an example to us not to grow weary, not to grow faint-hearted. Consider what Jesus has done for you, Christian, so that you will continue in his strength to serve others. A.W. Pink was a fine theologian. He was a very gifted writer. But his ecclesiology, his doctrine of the church was pretty messed up. Don't be content to live your life apart from the church. Don't be content if if you are able to, to live on the fringe of the church. That's not God's will for us. God's will for us is that we would be invested in each other's lives. God's will for us is that we would... We'd care about each other spiritually, that we'd strengthen each other, that we'd bear one another's burdens, that we'd serve one another, that we'd share with one another. And as we do that, we are testifying to a selfish world, the work of Jesus in us to make us those who love to serve each other. So may we do this. May we carry out chapters 5 and 6 here at Zion for the glory of God and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And may God be pleased to use us in each other's lives. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the instruction that you give to us through the Apostle Paul. Lord, it is uh, not easy at times to serve others. It's easier to sit on the sideline maybe and do nothing. But Lord, we know that that's not what you've called your church to be. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to to truly care about each other, to seek to strengthen each other, to be involved in one another's lives. And we pray that you would use us to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord Jesus. We pray this now in his name.